0: All right, we're in a series called Our Culture, and we've been honing in on the City Light Church core values. And uh, we've begun, th- I've actually read each of these every week, and, I, and I, uh, it's probably a little redundant for some of you, but how many know that a little bit of muscle memory helps really drive that home in your mind? So we're going to read them again. And um, so here they are here's our core values. This informs our culture as a church. And we just really felt like it's important um, this summer, fall, to be going through these. Um, Number one, we love God passionately. This is our premier value. Number two, we are a family. Number three, we honor people. Number four, God is good. We did two weeks on God is good. Number five, anything is possible. Number six, we rest in the finished work of the cross. Number seven, we live generously. Eight, we serve wholeheartedly. Nine, we value the family of Christ. And number 10, we will go. We will shine the light and love of Jesus everywhere we go. So last week, um, I did a message on core value number six. Um, We rest in the finished work of the cross. And actually... um, That sermon kind of started getting along. I didn't really get to hone in on how you rest in the finished work of the cross. I talked about the finished work of the cross, what it accomplished for us. The title of my message was The Blood, the Body, and the Benefits. We talked about the finished work of the cross, but we didn't really hone in on how to rest in it. And so this week, we're going to hone in on how do you rest in the finished work of the cross. So the title of my sermon this week is The Rest of the Story. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to hear the rest of the story. You need to hear the rest of the story. All right. So here's the rest of the story. Uh, how do you rest in the finished work of the cross? This is super important and pivotal to us as Christians, as believers. How do we rest? This is, and we felt so strong about this, we worked it into our core values as a church. That actually, The word rest is in there because it's such an important piece of our strategy as a church. Um, The reason why we we did that is because there, listen, there is a clear strategy, a clear strategy from our adversary, the devil. Listen, the devil's not, um, he's not omnipresent like God. God is everywhere at once. The devil's not everywhere at once. But the influence of darkness in this world is all over the place. And so there's a clear strategy from the influence of darkness to wear you out. OK, you just need to know that you, you should know there is a clear strategy from our adversary to wear you out, to wear you down, to make you physically fatigued, mentally fatigued, spiritually fatigued. And so um, Ephesians chapter six, verse 11, it says this, it says to put on the full arm of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor, of God, so you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. The devil has some schemes that um, he has set out for you to trip over, to fall over. The, the, the King James Version says um, the devil's wiles. The wiles. You guys remember Wiley E. Coyote? Right? Wiley E. Coyote. He's always, he's always trying to set a trap for the, for the roadrunner, right? That's just like, that's just like the, the devil in your life. He's always trying to set a trap for you. Right, but if we know who we are in Christ Jesus, and we resting in the finished work of the cross, we'll be like the roadrunner who never gets caught. Right? You know, he always just nothing ever works. Nothing ever works um, for the roadrunner because because uh, he knows who he is. Right, and he rests in the finished work of the cross, or more metaphorically, we do. So, but one of the enemy's schemes, one of his wiles, is to wear you down to wear you out. Daniel chapter seven, verses uh, t- verse twenty-five. Um, it says this, and it's, it's, the context here is the Antichrist and the last days, okay? Speaking of the Antichrist and the last days. It says, and he, speaking of the Antichrist, will speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they will be given into his hands until a time, end times, and the dividing of time, which is code for three and a half years. We don't need to talk about that, though. <laughs> but the point I want to make to you is there is a clear strategy, and it says here in the Bible that He will actually wear out the saints. There's a strategy from in in the end times, the devil. His strategy is to wear you out. the the New International um in, the NIV version says that He will oppress um, the saints of the Most High. I think actually I like it better in the King James version of this because oppress is kind of a broad statement, but the the Hebrew word for wear out literally it talks about, it's not a physical wearing down, it's actually a mental wearing down. So the the enemy's strategy against you is to wear you down mentally. He'll wear you down any way he can, but one of those um, in this context is to wear you down mentally, okay? And so, um, and how, how, how how does the enemy do that? How would that happen? If he gets you to do it in comparison, envy, jealousy, stress, all these different things, those things take a toll on us, don't they? And they begin to wear us down. And when we're worn down, we're more susceptible, we're more vulnerable to attacks and making wrong decisions and that kind of stuff. One time I, I preached on this verse about how the enemy's strategy is to, to you know, wear out the saints. So the next week, I called my wife at home. I was like, hey, how are you doing? You know, I was at work. How are you doing? How are the kids? And she's like, uh, the kids are wearing out the saints today. So <laughs> they're wearing out the saints. So... Sometimes you get worn out. Listen, there are, there are three ways to wear someone out. This is important. There are three ways. Physically, you can wear someone out physically. You can wear somebody out mentally. And you can wear someone out spiritually. And I actually think that it's really important for us as believers to understand the difference. Sometimes I think people are manifesting fatigue, being worn out, but they actually don't know the source of that fatigue. They think maybe it's mental, or they think it's spiritual, or they think it's um, uh, physical, but they actually are getting the wires crossed. And it's important for us to know the difference between being worn out physically mentally and spiritually. Why? Why is it, why is it so important? Because you will rest differently in different situations to get recharged, right? Um, I'll give, you an, I'll give you an example of this in my, in my own life. Um, Tuesdays for us at City Light Church, we have, our, we have our directors staff meeting on Tuesday mornings. And that's a long day. And then we have our pastoral staff meeting uh, Tuesday afternoons. And then we usually have several side meetings. Tuesday is a marathon meeting day for, for us. And um, it's, it's also mentally like an exhausting day. <laughs> There's just details and personnel things. And like uh, by the end of the day, it's mentally draining. My job, um, in particular, is being a pastor, my job isn't like physically demanding, right? <laughs> like most of the time, uh, my job involves meetings and lots of sitting and research and that kind of stuff. Um, but it's not physically demanding, but it is mentally and it is spiritually demanding. And so what I'm tempted to do sometimes after a marathon meeting day on Tuesdays, sometimes what I'm tempted to do is like, man, I feel worn out. I just want to like lay down and not move. Well, that, that might be how I'm feeling, but I'm actually not worn out physically. I'm worn out mentally, and I'm a little bit worn out spiritually. And um, so, because I'm a guy and I like, you know, I like to set goals and that kind of stuff, so a lot of times I'll force myself to go for a run. And um, for the first five, 10 minutes, I'm like, I don't want to be here, I feel tired or whatever. Or Emily and I talk about this sometimes, we go hiking and we like to hike 14ers. And uh, the first few, like, miles, sometimes the first few miles, you're like, I'm so tired. It's cold. I don't want to be here. It's dark. You know, a lot of them, you, and I just, you just don't want to be there. But then you get above treeline, tree line. The sun comes up and you're like, oh, this is the best thing ever. I'm so glad I'm here. Same thing when I'm out running. It's like, first few miles, sometimes I'm like, I don't want to be here. And I'm thinking about meetings. I'm thinking about relational issues or problems that we're trying to solve as a church. And then I'll, I'll know that I'm not physically tired because all of a sudden those things will start falling off. And I start to feel refreshed. So I'm not physically tired, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, when I, when, I, when I go into that situation, I'm not physically tired, I'm mentally tired and I'm spiritually tired and I actually start to get refreshed because I'm pushing myself physically. So my rest looks differently because of the, the kind of fatigue that I'm being subject to. Does this make sense? And so um, I almost always feel refreshed after I run. Um, I'm pushing myself physically but I'm re- recharging mentally. Um, typically, people who have who um, who don't have physical jobs, they're not going to be worn out physically. When I became a pastor, I used to have somewhat more of a physical job. I was a meat cutter, and we, you know you're we breaking loads, and you're on your feet all day. And I became a pastor, and all of a sudden, like I'm sitting a lot more, like I'm stationary a lot more, and like I started gaining some weight. I'm like, why am I gaining weight? Well, I'm eating the same amount of food, but now I'm sitting all day, and so I started gaining weight. And um, I actually had to up my physical activity to kind of like offset the amount of sitting that I was doing because eating less wasn't an option for me. You know? <laughs> I just wasn't in the, that wasn't gonna happen. I wasn't gonna eat less, I like to eat. So I had to up my activity. But listen, on the opposite side of that spectrum, if you're, if you're here and you're, you're swinging hammers all day and you're, you're running a shovel all day, you're probably not gonna need a lot of physical exercise, but it might recharge you to like sit down obviously and to get around some people and to get around some community, right? So that's a different kind of rest. So your rest might look different um, depending on how you're fatigued. You might need to get around people. And my rest, even though I'm, I'm kind of an extroverted person, I like to be around people, but I'm around people all the time, <laughs> you know? And so for me, rest looks like um, being physical and getting away from people a lot of times. So get away. <laughs> even though my personality is actually pretty extroverted. So, um, so it's the same thing with us. So w- what's the point? Um, the point is that we need to understand, we need to take inventory. When you feel worn out, take inventory. Am I worn out physically? Am I worn out mentally? Am I worn out spiritually? Okay? And the point I want you to, to remember this morning is that not all rest is created equal. Okay? A strategy of, of the Lord to keep you refreshed and effective and engaged in this world and not giving up, and not quitting, and not you know blowing up your life is to keep you in a place of rest. Not all rest is created equal. Back in biblical days, you know they they lived. Um, it was an agricultural era. So, and even uh, you know 100, 150 years ago here in America, it was more agricultural, and people were working hard all day. Then they invented the dishwasher, right? That started saving some time. And they invented the the laundry machine, that started saving time. And so. You were, you were working out all day to live, right? You were, you were physically working all day to live. It's much different for most of us these days. We're mostly sitting a lot, but in order for us to, um, to rest, we have to think differently of, of which way we're actually worn out. So, and sometimes it's hard to know the difference. Am I worn out in my mind? Am I worn out, worn out in my body? Am I worn out spiritually? Because they're all actually connected, right? So it's, it's easy sometimes to feel like, I feel physically tired, but it's actually mental or vice versa. Okay, so it takes a little bit of discernment to know which way we're being worn down and which way we need to recharge, okay? So if you're alone all day, you might need community. If you're bombarded with people all day, you might need to be alone. If you're sitting all day, you probably need to move, right? Your body was made to move. If you're swinging hammers all day, you probably need to like sit down for a little bit. But ask God, is this spiritual, is this mental, is this physical? And then apply in your own life, apply the right kind of rest that you need. And it might not be the kind of rest that you normally as your default go to, okay? So with that, one of the, I haven't really talked about being worn out spiritually, but one of the ways that the enemy of our soul will try to wear us out is wear us out spiritually. This can take on several different forms, but I wanna hone in on one particular way this week. One of the ways that the enemy can wear us out spiritually is by getting us to take on a religious spirit. It's through a religious spirit. Now, what is a religious spirit? Religion is following rules and regulations void of relationship with Jesus, okay? So approaching God, trying to be good enough for him and and, and rules, regulations, no relationship, okay? So it's also very exhausting. I don't know if you've ever fallen into the trap of, of religion and trying to be good enough for God and working your way to be close. And we all, I think we all kind of have that tendency to do it from time to time. But it's also very exhausting. It's, it, it's totally exhausting. It's a hamster wheel. So second thing I want you to remember today, this is important, religion is exhausting. So don't do religion, okay? It is a hamster wheel of do's and don'ts that never produce life within us. Religion doesn't produce life within you. Relationship with Jesus is what produces life in you. With religion, it's never enough. It's never, it's ne- you're never quite there. You've never arrived. It's never good enough. This is why last week I said in, in Jesus, we actually start at the finish line. Like the finished work of the cross brings us in as full sons and daughters. You don't have to like work for 10 years as a Christian to become a full son. You're a full son and daughter, full son, rights as sons and daughters, like the minute you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the minute you step into that identity. All right, and so, um, but it's never enough with religion. An example that I have for you this morning, I got this, I got this new uh, running watch. It's a Garmin, it's a, great, it's a great running watch. And I had to get a new one because my old, my old running watch, uh, the battery on GPS will only last about four hours. And I did that 40, 40 mile ultra, and the fastest time I saw from the previous year was like six hours. And I'm like, well, my watch won't even last six hours. I'm certainly not gonna finish this thing in six hours. Um, we had 12 hours to complete it, before they pull you off the course. So I was like, I need a new watch that will last a lot longer. So I bought a new watch. Anyway, it's great. This is a great watch. It has GPS, it monitors heart rate so you can stay in certain heart zones. Um, it tells you your speed, it tells you your elevation, all that cool stuff. But at the same time, I kinda hate my watch too. <laughs> and here's why. It has this feature that I have yet to like turn off, which is if you've been sitting still for too long, it's like, it, it buzzes and it's like time to move. Time to get moving. You know, you guys have those watches? Get, get up and move around. I just got done a couple weeks ago running a 40-mile ultra marathon. Okay? I, okay, I sat down. I sat down, for like, I sat down for like 30 minutes, right? And then my watch was like, time to move. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've just been on my feet for like 11 hours. I've only been moving all day since like six o'clock this morning. And now I need to move like you stupid watch, right? <laughs> this is what it's like with religion. <laughs> with religion, it's never enough. You're never good enough. You're never, you're never quite there. It's always a little more. It's always over the horizon, just a little bit further. And that's why you don't want to do religion. you never, it's never good enough. I have, I have a video to illustrate It's never quite good enough. You need to just work a little harder. So go ahead and roll that. Then they always point out the emergency exits, always with that very vague point though, isn't it? (laughs) Planes at a 90 degree degree angle, your hair is on fire, you're looking for this. How do you think you're gonna do there? She's thinking, I'm getting out before you're getting out. (laughs) You're dead, you're dead, I'm gone. (laughs) Then they always have to close that first-class curtain, too. And they always give you that little look. (laughs) Maybe if you had worked a little harder. I wouldn't have to do this. Right? Maybe that's that's religion. It's always if you'd work just a little harder. Sorry, you can't come in. You gotta work a little harder. That's religion for you, man. But listen, relationship relationship with Jesus is life-giving. So that's number three point number three I want you to remember today, relationship with Jesus is, life, um, religion is, is no good. In the Old Testament, there is, you know, the Ten Commandments, obviously. You just keep these, don't do these things. And then there are, I don't know if you guys know this, there are 613 other laws that people had to keep to be right with God. Like, that's a lot of rules. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) That's a lot of rules. Have you guys ever wondered, like, which in the Old Testament, which rules from the Old Testament still apply to us today in the New Testament? It's a good question. Like, for example, murder. That one seems relevant to me today. Like, doesn't seem like love to murder someone. That's probably one we should keep, I think. But then there's, like, these other laws where it's, like, don't wear clothes with different, like, mixed fabrics. And, like, I'm breaking that law right now. I got leather shoes, <laughs> cotton you know i'm i'm breaking that law right now like you guys are you guys are breaking laws right now that one doesn't seem relevant to me like that one seems like we can leave that one in the old testament right okay now um how but how do we know how do we know which which one's which of these rules regulations from the old testament should we should we keep today i once heard someone say this if you heard jesus or one of the apostles reaffirm a command that was given in the old testament that still applies to us today. And by the way, one of the one of the one of the ways I like to look at, you know, in the New Testament, we're not under the law, we're not under rules, but there are many times where Paul's like, "Hey, here's a list of things. Do these. Here's a list of another some other things. Don't do these things." I'm like, well, those sound like a list of rules, but we're not under rules, right? Basically what they're doing though in the the Apostle New Testament, they're saying, "Here's a circle and there's a fence, and everything on this side of the fence is love, and everything on the outside of this fence isn't love, right? So that's, in the New Testament, that's like how, how I like to look at what is valid and what is invalid as, as far as do these things, don't do these things. It's just highlighting love, okay? But I once heard someone say, yeah, if, if one of the apostles or, one, or Jesus in the New Testament reaffirms something from the Old Testament, that's how we know it still applies for us today. So let's check this out. At the cross... Some things ended at the cross. There were some commands that actually ended at the cross. There were some commands that continued through the cross, and there were some things that were, they continued, but they were changed by the cross, okay? Let me give you some examples of this. Let me give you an example of something that ended at the cross. Blood sacrifices ended at the cross, right? Jesus, um, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Jesus was our final, once and for all, blood sacrifice, Amen. So that ended at the cross. So if you're going home and you're sacrificing pigeons and bulls and, and offering this blood, to, I just want to give you permission, you go ahead and stop that now, okay? <laughs> Jesus accomplished that one for you. Okay, so that ended, that ended at the cross. Um, some things continued straight through the cross, okay? I'll give you an exa- one example of this, is the tithe. The tithe of, of giving 10% of your increase. Abraham tithed before, it was actually before the law was given, and then Moses, it was reaffirmed through Moses, and the tithe, the tithe was reaffirmed through Moses and the, and the giving of the law. And then Jesus actually reaffirmed the tithe. The New Testament, I'll just read the scripture to give you reference. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and, and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Check this out. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, okay? So he said, you should still tithe, but make sure you have justice, mercy, right? And, because um, that's, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Do those things, but practice the latter without neglecting the former. Okay, so that's an example of something that continued through the cross, all right? Now, what about some things that the cross changed? Like, they continued, but they've changed, okay? Let me give you an example of this. Jesus said, in Matthew, Matthew 5, there's this command, you shall not kill, Right? That's pretty important one. Jesus, Jesus, you shall not kill. But Jesus said, but I say to you, if you hate your brother or sister, um, that's like murder. It's like the spirit of murder. If you hate someone in your heart, that is the spirit of murder. That's what Jesus says, right? So he, he takes it. It's more than the act of murder. Um, if you hate someone in your heart, you actually have murder in your heart is what he's saying. Okay? Uh, another example is, um, it is said in the Old Testament, or in the, the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. I mean, oh, that's a good one. But Jesus said, I say to you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have, uh, you have committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus takes, because these guys are like, well, I haven't committed adultery. But he's like, but in your mind, in your heart, are you committing adultery? He's, he, he takes it from the external and makes it an issue of the heart, right? Okay, so... He, he changes things. By the way, it's not sin or evil to recognize if someone is attractive. My wife and I do this all the time. We're like, that is a beautiful couple over there. That man is stunning. That woman is stunning. That's not a sin. It's, it's a sin when you try to, when you covet in your heart, I wish that was my spouse, or you have a fantasy in your heart about that person, right? Okay, so that's, that's, that's where Jesus draws the line there. When you covet in your heart, when you lust in your heart, that's when you're stepping over line. Okay, since we're talking about rest... What about the fourth commandment? What about the Sabbath, the day of rest, okay? For, for the Jews, um, if you've ever been to Israel, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday is, is the Sabbath, and, like, nothing's open. And, and it was actually kind of funny because Friday, you know, sundown Friday, everything closes, and then Saturday, everything's closed. And then Saturday at sundown, like, restaurants and stuff will open up again. So like coffee shops, because downtown Jerusalem is kind of a happening place on Saturday night, but after, after um, the sun goes down, then the Sabbath is officially over, and then coffee shops open up, and it's a super cool, super cool place. So in, in Israel, um, that's the way the Jews practice that and observe that. So with the establishing of the Old Testament law, Jews... They were constantly laboring to make themselves acceptable to God. Their labors included trying to obey a number of do's, a number of don'ts, of ceremonial law, temple law, civil law. Remember, 613 laws. Okay, the Sabbath day, check this out. The Sabbath day was not only a day of rest physically, but also a day of rest from all the religious hoops that they had to jump through and to perform. And so the question is, how did Jesus interact with the Sabbath, because listen, Jesus took a lot of flack for healing people, for doing good on the Sabbath, right? And he would say things to the Pharisees like this: "Hey, if your son falls into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pull him out? Like, or does that work? You know, if you're if you're a valuable animal you had uh, fell into a pit, wouldn't you wouldn't you pull him out on the Sabbath?" He's defending himself because he was healing people on Sabbath. By the way, that's a good illustration of like how God views sickness. It's as if your son or daughter has fallen into a pit. But he took a lot of flack from the Pharisees for doing good things on the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees view this as labor. But check this out. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. It says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said, look, they are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need in the days of Abathar, the high priest? He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is unlawful, only for the priest to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Verse 28, so the son of man, speaking of Jesus, is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Based upon how Jesus interacted with the Sabbath, we can conclude some really cool things. Check this out. Jesus didn't necessarily point to a day of rest as Jesus did point to himself as the man of rest, right? Jesus, Jesus didn't necessarily point to a day and say, rest on this day. Jesus pointed himself and he said, rest in me. Okay, let me read you a verse. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my, yoke, um, and you, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Je- so Jesus didn't necessarily point to a certain day on one day a week. He said, hey, you need on that one day to rest. Rather, Jesus, Jesus made the Sabbath. He changed it in that he made the Sabbath every day. 24-7, 365 days a year. And he said, in the Old Testament, you had one day a week where you had, you had the rest. It was commanded to rest from your physical labors. In the New Testament, under Jesus, we rest in Jesus 24-7 every day. It's a perpetual state of rest that we're supposed to be in as Christians. Okay? This is a perpetual state of rest that God wants us to walk in and have. All right? And um, if there's someone that's going to play something, I'm going to conclude here in a second. But um, now I, th- here's a disclaimer. Y'all need a day of rest. Okay. <laughs> like if you're working hard, like take a day off, have a, have a mental, you know, the, the word recreate is the word, you know, it, it looks like recreate. You need a day to recreate. You need a day of recreation. And whether that's physical rest or that's mental rest or whatever, or spiritual rest, you need to do that. But the spirit, I want to say that the spiritual rest is the mo- most important because the spirit realm is actually superior than the natural, the natural realms. And it affects the other realms. Remember last week I talked about the, the word, um, the Greek word for saved is the Greek word sozo. And sozo is saved, healed, and delivered. So the implications of that are body, soul, and spirit. <clears throat> I, I remember hearing one time, um, so it affects body, soul, spirit. Um, and I remember someone asked Catherine Kuhlman. How many remember Catherine Kuhlman? I actually, I think she probably died before I was even born. But Catherine Kuhlman was a powerful woman, a healing evangelist, like had remarkable miracles in her ministry. Someone asked her, like, man, after you minister like that and you get done, are you just like exhausted? Or are you wiped out? And Catherine Kuhlman said, no, I'm not tired at all because I didn't do anything. He did all the work, Jesus. Holy Spirit did all the work. And I rested in him as he, as he did the work. Now, to be fair, sometimes I leave this place and I feel pretty exhausted, so maybe I don't have it down yet. <laughs> but I just want to say, in my own life, the way that I stay inspired, the way I stay encouraged, and, and I'm not like, you know, I talk about these you know, physical activities, things I do. It's not because I'm a really disciplined person. I'm not like an early morning riser. Like I'm kind of an night owl, and I kind of drag myself out of bed in the morning. Like I'm not, I don't think of myself as a very disciplined person, but I, listen, I have learned a secret And I I think this isn't just for me. This is for all of us. This isn't for super Christians. This is for everyone. I've learned a secret of resting in the finished work of the cross. And that rest that we have of not striving to be good enough for God, that affects all the areas of your life. It affects you physically. It affects you mentally. It affects you spiritually, obviously. And so... If you're here and, and that's a, a struggle for you, where you're always getting worn out I, and you're always, um, you know, you need physical rest. We need recharging. But I, I, I want to pray this morning that you would learn the art of resting in Jesus because we're not trying to be sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters, we're li- and we're living out a revelation of that, right? It's totally different. It flips everything upside down, okay? It all flows from that. So... <clears throat> I, I want to live and, and try to live in a perpetual state of rest in Jesus. He is my Sabbath and it flows from the other areas. You guys can too. Why don't I have you, let's stand, I'm going to pray and uh, and that's the rest of the story. All right. <laughs> By the way, don't share this message with the host of this church. <laughs> the host of the church, what? Yeah, I will. Yeah. know, um, Seventh-day Adventists. We love them. They're, they're amazing. Uh, we have a good relationship with them. They worship on Saturday because that's the day they observe. Um, I don't think they'd be upset about it, but anyway. <laughs> but Christianity has kind of fundamentally changed the way we observe a day of rest. But in Jesus, the rest is every single day. And so I want to pray over you this morning. Jesus, I thank you for every person here. I thank you, God. There is a clear strategy from the enemy to, to wear us out physically, emotionally, spiritually, Lord God, I know this of every person in this room, that there is an assignment against them to wear them out, Lord God. And I just pray today, Lord God, that number one, we would learn the art of that perpetual 24-7 rest in Jesus, Lord. I pray we would learn that, God. We would learn our identity in Jesus, God. We would, we would get away from comparison, envy, strife, these things, Lord God. We'd be, I just pray a, a total God confidence over every person here that we'd be so comfortable in our own skin, Lord God. We would never try to be anyone else. And I just want to declare if you knew who you were in God, if you knew who you were in Christ Jesus, you would never try to be anyone else ever. You would be so excited about yourself. You would never try to live up to anyone else's expectations and standards because you would understand that God is so good and he loves you so much and he made you so uniquely and created you amazing. And so I just release that, God, over this, over this congregation. But I also just say, God, if there's people here who are ignoring the physical side of rest, Lord God, that they just or go, 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 24-7, I pray that they would take inventory and realize, God, that they need to take a little bit of a Sabbath physically, Lord God. And I pray that if there's people here and they're running 24-7 in their minds and they're constantly um, busy, 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 God, I pray that they would learn the art of recreation, Lord God, and taking that time away, Lord God, to rest um, in you, Lord God. I just pray we would be sensitive, Lord God, sensitive to the fact, whether it's a spiritual wearing, Lord God, or it's a physical wearing, or it's an emotional wearing, Lord God, I pray that we'd be sensitive to that. And I just release that over this group today in Jesus' name. Amen. And